Good Morgen. My mom became a principal. She uh, went back to school at late in life. Uh, my and there's reasons for that. My father um, was ripped off. The company that he was a part of, his his other partner, uh, embezzled their life savings, and uh, just and it, it really as a as a guy who uh, was unsaved at the time when that took place, it was just really, really devastating to him. Because, you know, in our culture, the man is the breadwinner. Maybe that's changing now. But uh, in those days, 1970, 1971, man was the breadwinner. He did the, you know, he brought in the, the, the money. And so my mom went back to work I mean, they were broke. They had nothing. So my mom went back to work. She got a master's degree in administration, and uh, she became a principal. And uh, when she took over the job of being, a, she got a job as a principal in a parochial school. And when she took that job over, she went, it was a, actually kind of like uh the school year had already started, and she came into that scene. And as she is, uh, her office was her office was such situated that there was a door into the teacher's lounge. And uh, you know how doors are on some of these schools. They're like fire doors. They're so thick oak. It's like that door. And uh, heavy duty and that kind of thing. And uh, she's working at her desk. She hears at about oh, a class, a school lets out at about 3.30. She hears at about 1.30 in the afternoon, she hears the teacher's lounge very active. And uh, she's, she just was really amazed. Uh, why, why so much noise? And she goes into the... She goes into the um, into the teacher's lounge, and there's all the teachers. And she's like blown away. And they got wine, and they got cheese. They're cutting cheese on crackers, and they're having a good old party type of thing. And she asks the question, uh, she asks a question uh, to them. She like observed a little bit, and uh, she goes, where, where are your... Uh, I mean, shouldn't you be with the children in your classrooms? Uh, isn't this what you should do? And uh, they said, ah, oh, Fran, that was her name, so that's why they called her that. Uh, Fran, uh, we, uh, we do this every, every Friday. Every Friday we have wine and cheese, you know, and we... And they, well, who, who's watching your kids? Oh, no, they're okay. You know, they're having a study time. And uh, my mom just, so she calls a staff, or a teacher and staff meeting. She said, I want to ask you a question. Why are you here? Are you here for the students? to teach them? Or are you here for wine and cheese for yourself? Why are you here? Are you here for the PTO? Parent-teacher organization? Why are you here? I want you to think about that. Because your employment rests on your decision. Because we're not going to have teachers who are here for themselves. And we're not here for the PTO. We're here for those students. And that's, they are our number one priority. I asked myself the question in, in giving you that story. True story, absolutely true story. They didn't like her, by the way. Uh, some, some of them did not like her. And uh, she, I mean... It's, you're not to be liked or loved or anything like that, but they, they rebelled. Some of them really rebelled uh, 
Uh, and uh, she got rid of them and got new teachers who were going to do what they were hired to do, and that was to teach students and uh, invest their lives into those students. And it was, um, it was a tough, tough time. I remember her talking to me about the, the, the interplay of that. And this, everybody wants to be liked. But the principal has to say, okay, here's what we have to do. Here's why we're here. <laughs> we're to educate people, not have wine and cheese. And so, by the way, the wine and cheese thing is over. You're never going to have another wine and cheese here as long as I'm principal. Not going to have that. So I asked myself the question, what, what are, uh, in, in relationship to that, you know, my mom thought to my, herself that uh, the priorities of, what are the priorities of this school? And um, the question arises in my own mind and my own heart regarding my relationship to other Christians that I fellowship with. What are the priorities of us? Those of us who know Jesus as our personal Savior. What are our priorities. And I'd like us to, we're going to look at a few passages. We're going to go all over the place, in fact. That's what we're going to do. So if you just want to listen because you don't like turning. My dad one time said to me, he got saved late in life, in the, like 59 years of age, and he said to me, he goes, why can't you stay in one passage he came up and rebuked me afterwards, you know. Why just can't why why not just stay in one passage? And I love to do that expositional preaching. I love to stay in one shot. But this is not an expositional. This is topical. And we're going to go all over the map, okay? Well, not all over the map, but we're going to go different places. So turn with me if you would to Matthew 16. Matthew 16, and you're going to, we're going to look at a passage, and we're going to look at other passages as well, because uh, the New Testament reveals three priorities that need to be in the church today. Three priorities that need to be in the church today. And uh, this is, this is uh, well, this, I think it's very important for us to understand these priorities and what would these priorities be? We're going to look at the church must have the priority of glorifying the Savior. We want to glorify the Savior. And you know, there's a, and when we say glorify the Savior, we have in our minds, sometimes, some of us have in our minds that our hands are raised and we're shouting out and that kind of thing which is, val is a valid way of exercise glorification to the Savior. But how else can we glorify the Savior? And then also the church must have the priority of edifying the saints. And that's what we're trying to do here in this particular meeting is to edify, uh, build up the saints. And then also the church must have the priority of evangelizing the sinners. Evangelizing the sinners. We're going to look at different passages regarding those three. But when we look at the, the New Testament, it reveals three priorities that, that need to be in our lives as a community of believers, as a, as a church, as a Christians. Again, when we gather together, what should we be doing? What should Calvary be doing? What should the church at large across the world be doing? Well, it must have the priority of glorifying the Savior. Uh, in Matthew chapter, Matthew chapter 16, verse 18, the Lord Jesus said this, and it was a in, future, in the future, and I say unto you, talking to Peter, Thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. 
And he's not saying that Peter is the first leader of the, of the church. He was not, actually. James was. But when you look at this, uh, he said, I will build my church and will build my church. Some translations say, shall build the church. In other words, it's future tense of when, when the Lord Jesus was speaking it. And in Acts chapter 2, this church, this body of believers uh, across the world started in Acts chapter 2. And then it's been going on ever since. And uh, there's, a lot, there's a lot to talk about regarding that, but uh, which we will dispense with right now. But the thing is, those of us who have trusted Christ as our personal Savior, we belong to the church of God. We belong to His, His church. And that simply means, church simply means the called out ones. Those who have been called out or set apart for his whatever he would desire. And uh, we need to glorify. I'd like us to look at Romans chapter 15, if you wouldn't mind. Romans chapter 15. And look at verses 1, well, actually by 1 through 6. And it says this, We then that are strong ought to bear the infirmities of the weak. Romans chapter 15, verse 1. And not to please ourselves. Let every one of us please his neighbor for his good to edification. For even Christ pleased not himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of them that reproached thee fell on me. For whatever things were written in earlier times were written for our learning, that we through patience and comfort of the Scriptures might have hope. Now the God of patience and consolation grant you to be like-minded one toward another according to, the, according to Christ Jesus, that you may with one mind and one mouth glorify God even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so how do we do this? How do we glorify? What is the thing that we, you know, he's commanding that we would do this, that we would gather together. We're not for ourselves. We're not gathering together for ourselves. There's a lot of, lot of uh, churches out there that cater to the individual. And what I mean by that is what... And the, and the individual picks up on this for sure. Uh, what is in it, what's in it for me? That's not at all what the Bible teaches. When we gather together, we're in it to glorify Him. Not in what can I get out of it. It's what I can give to it. And uh, so we're to minister. To, as the Lord Jesus didn't please Himself, we're not to please ourselves. We're to please uh, actually the Lord and ministering to others. That's, that's, our, that's our task. And so we glorify in a broad sense, we glorify God by doing obeisance. Now that sounds like I'm fat. And uh, I am. <laughs> but let me be fat in my praise and glory to the Lord. Let me be fat in doing that. <laughs> that sounds funny. But uh, let me be fat in glorifying the Lord uh, the way He would like to be you know, ministered to. In Romans 12.1, notice this is to you, the individual, but it's also, if you belong to the church, this is what we're to do as individuals and as individuals, members of an assembly of believers. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, Romans 12.1, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, right, unto God. Hmm. Acceptable unto God, which is your normal form of worship or your acceptable service. This is, this is the normal action for us. 
Uh, we want to worship the Lord. We want to glorify God. But what is it? What is it? What does that look like? Well, we we yield everything that glorifies God. Did you know that? It's not necessarily you know we say we want to glorify God, and like I said previously, we glorify God by our you know singing and raise, maybe raising of the hands and all this kind of stuff. You glorify God by turning your life over to Him and letting Him have full control. And that's, that can be daily, that can be moment by moment. You're doing it, you know, I'm, Lord, you've got my life. Lord, I, you know, sometimes you go down and you're making decisions on certain things or whatever. You're constantly on your, in your mind and in your heart saying, I, okay, what would you have me to do? How do you want me to make this decision? How is this happening? What do you want? I'll do whatever you want. I yield my life to you. As a believer, not to be a believer, but as a believer, I do this. And so we, we worship Him. We glorify Him in that. And also, we glorify Him uh, at, at in the ordinances, and what, what I mean by that is, he has asked of us two things as an assembly of believers and individually performing this. The two things are this. The first one is one that happens once, and that's baptism. Baptism does not save you. Baptism just is an indication to the world that you are already saved. So baptism doesn't do anything for you except get you wet. But in terms of salvation, it doesn't get you to heaven. Baptism doesn't do that. But it tells the world that I have died with Christ and I've been raised with Christ. That's the first one. And that happens just one time. You don't have to get baptized over and over and over. You know, we might as well have a swimming pool here, you know. And uh, so that, you know, okay, I'm baptized again, all right. You know, no, that, it's just a one-time shot. And then, but does something that does happen over and over, and it's called the, the Lord's Table, the Breaking of Bread, the Lord's Supper. There's many uh, names for this. And, uh, and this is something that we, we do. We worship the Lord. In fact, that is the worship meeting of the church according to 1 Corinthians chapter 11 Paul tells us this is we glorify him when we worship him when we say to him thank you lord for saving my soul at Calvary Bible Chapel here we meet at 9:30 in the morning to do that very thing it lasts an hour and we think about our lives and we look at the prescription that he told us to do. This do in remembrance of me. As many as do this, you do it until the Lord comes. If you remember my death, burial, and resurrection, would you remember that and keep that? Now, we get, there's so many benefits for this for the Christian. We, we look at our lives and we say, man, if it wasn't for Jesus, it, it's over. Thank you, Lord, for saving my soul. Thank you for making me whole. And that's what we do. We, we come and we worship the Lord and we ask Him to really bless. And to really, uh, we ask Him not only to bless, but to bless our thoughts and to think about what his Son, the Lord Jesus, has done on our behalf. Wow. Wow. I have seen people in, in uh, the breaking of bread just break down and cry. Now, my father got saved at the age of 59. Uh, and uh, right after he got saved, he was going to this Bible study with my mom. My mom was taking him. She had gotten saved around 54 age 54, and now they're, they're only a few months apart. And uh, so, uh, so he gets, my dad gets saved at the age of 59. He had gone to this Bible study, 
and, and uh, he trusted Christ as his Savior. He, if you know my dad, uh, you don't because he's with the Lord now. You will. You'll get to meet him uh, if you know the Lord Jesus as your Savior. Uh, he, he was just Bob. And, uh, you know, combat veteran, uh, just, and he was, he's a straight shooter, uh, this kind of thing. And he gets up at the breaking. Next time, I wasn't there. I wish I was. It's a small little assembly in Southern California. My dad gets up. And he starts weeping. And he says, God. <laughs> he didn't have the these and the thous. He didn't have anything. He just was him. God. Thanks for Dennis. That Dennis was the guy that led him to Christ. God, thanks for West Valley Bible Chapel. God, thanks for Jesus for saving my soul. Thank you. He sat down. There wasn't a dry eye in the place because people were witnessing a man who had been broken to the point that he knew that he needed Jesus as his Savior. And he was so grateful. And it was so tender. And uh, I was told that everybody's going, <laughs> you know, this kind of stuff. And uh, just, just a, a wonderful thing. And that's glorifying God. That is glorifying God. And so you have the ordinances, you know, we... We glorify, as, a, as an assembly of believers, we glorify God by not only doing obeisance to the Savior in the broad sense of worship, uh, but also in terms of the ordinances and then also in terms of our obedience to the Lord. Would you turn with me, please, to 1 Samuel. That's in the Old Testament. <clears throat> I've been doing some homework, uh, and some people take the take umbrage. That's a cool word, huh? Uh, they take exception to the idea of old, Old Testament. You know, uh, it's been fulfilled in the person of our Lord Jesus Christ. But look at First Samuel 15. Look at First Samuel 15, and. Um, yeah, it's page 338 in my Bible. <laughs> that was supposed to be funny. It uh, didn't work out too well. Actually, 339 in my... Okay, but 1 first, first Corinthians, 1 Samuel fifteen twenty-two, And Samuel said, Hath the Lord as great delight in the offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to hearken than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft, and stubbornness is as the iniquity and idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he also rejected you from being king. He's speaking to Saul who did that very thing, who rejected the Lord. The sin of witchcraft. It tells us in Exodus, you shall not suffer a witch to live. They shall be stoned in that old economy. That's what God thinks of our lack of obedience to him. Um, I heard a preacher this, this week, pretty good preacher, talk about wasn't it wasn't necessarily the humbling of themselves as opposed to the exaltation of the savior glorifying god notice no, noting his worth and how great he is and understanding how small and puny i am and I, I, I thought that was a great, a great point. The Bible also tells us to humble ourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God that we may 
be exalted in due time. And so this is the thing. We need to obey, and it's better than giving a check at the plate when the plate is passed or the bag is passed at the breaking of bread. It's if you gave a million dollars, God wants your obedience. That's what he wants. To obey is better than sacrifice. And so this is the thing that is so important. What does God want me to obey? And there's a boatload of things in the Bible. So we need to be constantly in the Word. But this is what the church tells us uh, the church needs to do. And he tells us in his word how we're to operate, how we're to do things. And we are, and he really does expect us to obey. I mean, think about it just for a moment. He sent his son to pay the penalty for your sin and my sin, to save us from the lake of fire which burns forever and ever and ever, and I cannot obey him. How ludicrous. How, how, how unbalanced at the very best that is. We're to, we're to obey Him. And this is how we are to glorify the Savior. Question. Does that depict your life? The idea of obedience? The idea of worshiping Him? the idea of obeying him in terms of the ordinances? Does that depict your life? And not only does the church must, you know, must glorify the Savior, but the church's priority also is, one of the priorities is to edify the saints. Uh, there is a number of passages. We, we do this... Uh, edification we do this we edify the saints through doctrine doctrine is simply teaching what does the bible teach we can say it's doctrine and uh, that's another word for it's a synonym for teaching but what what is it what is it that we are to obey what is it that we are to know and to uh, learn from Look at 2 Timothy chapter 2, if you would. 2 Timothy chapter 1, excuse me. 2 Timothy chapter 1. And look at verses 12 and 13. For which cause I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. Hold fast the form of sound words which you have heard of me in faith and love which is in Christ Jesus. You know, it's really beautiful. Hold fast to those sound words. But he gives us the strength to obey those sound words. He gives us those, that strength uh, you you just look over on the other side of the page if it's that way in your edition of the Bible. Look at 2 Timothy 2.15. Study to show yourself approved unto God. Workmen, isn't that a kicker? Workmen that need not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. It takes work. Uh, I'm going to recommend a a podcast for you. And uh, the latest edition of that podcast is it, it's two, oh, how does it go? Two ways of, <laughs> uh, it's called Bite Size Seminary. Two ways of, I forget the name. Do you guys know that? Oh, man. Two ways of, help me out here. <laughs> you don't remember. <laughs> Okay, two ways of studying the Bible. Yeah, that's it. That was something like that. Two ways of studying the Bible is really good. It's just not reading the Bible. You know, I, I, I spent an hour reading the Bible. That's great. We need to study the Bible. We need to really be workmen. Uh, you know, I always thought to myself, you know, it'd be really cool to get people to come to the breaking of bread. 
we put 10 bucks with now inflation, $20 bills in the, in the, in the black books, you know, put 20 bucks in the black book, you know, and you might get it, you might not. We, you know, randomly, oh, I'm coming to the breaking of bread. There's cash in it for us, you know, uh, that kind of thing. Well, studying the word of God, more to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold. You know, sweeter than honey and the honey of the honeycomb. It's, it's unbelievable how sweet it is. Uh, Jackie Gleason, uh, entertainer years gone by, and he'd go, how sweet it is, you know. And that's us geezers to understand that. Uh, because we saw him on the Jackie Gleason show, you know, and he'd ended up, how sweet it is, you know. Well, that's when you study the Word of God in the power of the Spirit of God with no sin in your life, and the Lord starts to speak to you through His Word. It will bless your socks off. So if you're used to, and I know in Samoa, I've understood this, in Samoa they don't wear socks too often. I don't think it snows that much in Samoa. Uh, but if, if, So put some socks on and watch them blow off as you study the Word of God. I'm only kidding. That doesn't really happen uh, unless you're in a hurricane. Okay. So doctrine. Doctrine really is an important, an important factor in terms of our edifying, edifying one another. Because you can't, I tell you what, you start studying the Word, you start studying the Word, here's what happens. You can't shut up about it. you got to go, what do you think about that? Do you know I read in the Word? Blah, 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 blah. And this, and this, this is unbelievable. And if you really study in it, you get those, those Greek things. You know, and you say, do you know the, the Greek says this? You know, and you go... <gasps> I didn't know that. This is fantastic. And then he tells us, Paul tells Timothy in the first epistle, he says, meditate on these things. Give thyself wholly to them that thy profiting may appear to all. Meditate. Think about that. Meditate that your profiting may appear to all. And then that's so we edify through doctrine. And then we edify through discipleship. Look at 2 Timothy again, 2.2. It says, And the things which thou hast heard from me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. Discipleship is teaching. And I have to tell you, the greatest disciplers, I think, in the New Testament and also in, in reality, are moms. They disciple their kids. Susanna Wesley discipled 19 children. She spent, she had 19 kids. She spent an hour every week just with one, each one of those children. Of the 19, two changed the history of England. And also the colonies changed, changed everything because she discipled them and then they got saved. John and Charles Wesley. We still sing some of West John, Charles Wesley's hymns. Oh, for a thousand tongues we sing our great Redeemer's praise. Charles Wesley wrote that. And maybe he wrote that on a horse. As he and because he was, he wrote over eight thousand hymns, and uh, it was known of him that they could see him going through town in his bedclothes, <laughs> riding a horse, and he'd stop because he ran out of ink for this quill. He'd knock on somebody's door and give me, give me, a, give me some more ink, and he would just be busy. And he thanks, boom, back on the horse, going wherever he was. Uh, John Wesley. Over 250,000 miles was estimated that he traveled in horseback and carriage preaching the Word of God because of discipleship. And that is, that is so important, especially moms 
to children. Moms to children. Sam Charian tells me, and also fathers too, but Sam Charian tells me, uh, has told me that when he was like five years of age, three, maybe three, five, I think five years of age, he'd get up with his dad, the whole family did, got up with his parents at about five in the morning because his dad had to go to work and they had a family time worshiping the Lord. Studying the Word, worshiping the Lord. He just sat there <laughs> and listened to that. And I thought to myself, that's, and, and if you know Sam, you know what a, what a lovely Christian that man is. And uh, so, you know, discipleship. And then also, something that is kind of distasteful to us, but it is necessary to the health. If I had a situation on my arm that I had to have it uh, a wound if I had a wound on my arm that was getting infected I'd have to open you know pull back the sleeve I'd have to scrub it out and if I went to the emergency room that's exactly what they would do <laughs> my brother got shot in the neck once and uh, just once that's all it took he got shot in the neck and entered here a 22 long rifle hit here and blew out and missed his jugular by an eighteenth of an inch. And uh, when they, he went to the hospital, they put, he was in the Boy Scouts at the time, and they, they put a, a gauze tube right through his neck and went in and out like flossing it. In and out, yeah. It, and it was, it was nasty. It was nasty. My, bro, my, my brother, yeah, he was, but uh, my dad was getting water for the camp and uh, the ambulance is pulling out of the camp and they're waving him to follow. He didn't know it was his son in the back of that ambulance. Got shot through the neck. And uh, my dad, combat veteran, had seen stuff like that. He made a big mistake, though. He, my brother came home with his shirt on. It was blood-soaked. My mom went ballistic, uh, to coin a phrase. And uh, she, boy, we had no guns in our house. Uh, That's for sure. For sure. That that is for real sure. But when you do that, when you have a a festering wound, you have to clean it out. You have to, and it's hard. It's difficult. But the Lord Jesus prescribes for us in Matthew 18, that very aspect of church discipline. So how do we glorify God? By looking at a situation and then making the right decisions in terms of disciplining the errant or the sinner, the saint that is in error. And uh, Matthew 18 tells us how to do that specifically. Um, and it's, and it's very, very gut-wrenching. We at this chapel have had to do that on a number of occasions, and it is not, not fun. But it is absolutely necessary to the health of the assembly. No questions about it. And then, so we look at this. Um, by the way, if we're doing our job as an assembly in terms of discipleship, that heads off discipline. Because these people will not... It can happen, but it won't. It will, it'll lessen it, the chances of having to do that. If we're doing the job uh, in terms of discipling, hmm, it heads it off. So... The church must have the priority of glorifying the Savior and edifying the saints, but also we need to have the priority of evangelizing the sinners, the lost. And uh, we we see in Matthew 18, or 28, excuse me, the mandate for us, go into all the world and preach the gospel. Go into all the world and preach the gospel. Oh, so sometimes people have, and I've had this said to me, 
you know, why don't you mind your own business? I go, great, this is my business. The business of the assembly of believers, my particular business of my, in my life, do the work of an evangelist, doesn't mean I have to have the gift of evangelism. It means I'm to do the work of an evangelist. So what does an evangelist do? And uh, find out what that means. Do that work. And he is the head, the head of the body of Christ wants more people to come into his kingdom than, you know, we, we're willing for them to come in. And the, the world is a target-rich environment. It's a target-rich environment. There's so many people who need the Lord Jesus Christ. And there's schemes and methods, etc., in terms of, of reaching the lost. I mean, you know, we're going to do kids' meetings Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday at BB Street Park. You know, we're going to do that this week. And why would we want to do that? To get, to get, oh, we want to get people to come to Calvary. Well, that's maybe a benefit. But that's not why we're doing it. We're doing it so these boys and girls, moms and dads, if they come to this, that they would trust in the Lord Jesus Christ and if they die, would never spend a second in hell. And then being cast into the lake of fire. This is our desire to reach the lost because it's His desire. He died on that cross to save me from my sin. And He has asked us to go into all the world and preach the Gospel. Isn't that fantastic? And this is what we, He wants us to do. And then He gives us the motive, the motive for it. I mean, we can look at this. I'd like you to look at Romans chapter 10, if you don't mind. I mean, you have Paul in this same book, Romans, giving us, uh, giving us the... And also in 1 Corinthians, that the, the, the lost, the people who do not know Jesus as their Savior, are considered lost. Lost. Lost to God. And this is, this is the thing that is so, so terrible. This is an, a terrible, terrible thing that a person would not know when they die where they could go. <laughs> Can you imagine? I mean... Maybe that, that was me. I had no idea. By the way, I was uh, on Facebook the other day. Just look, I just look it over. I don't involve too much. It, man, it's like a time sucker. You know? And uh, I was looking on this. And I, I've shared with you about how my friend Bob Miller and I used to get swatched together. Well, in eighth grade, and uh, we grew up and through all the way through senior in high school. And that that spring, March twenty second, nineteen seventy, my friend Bob was killed in an automobile accident. They wrapped themselves around the telephone pole. Him and a guy named Butch Jones. He lived. They were both drunk. They hit on Som Center Road right before you get to the freeway on I ninety. Just hit it, and he was DOA at the hospital. Wow. I bet you Butch felt bad. I bet you Butch felt really bad about it. Butch died. I found that out. Butch is gone too. One of the things, he died in 2011. Nobody knew that. I think to myself, it does not matter what your station in life is. It does not matter how much money you make. And it does not matter anything of human effort. What does matter is where you're going. That is what matters. And those of us who know where we're going, we're at, we have to ask ourselves the question, how did we achieve that? We didn't. He achieved it for us by sending His Son Jesus Christ to die on that cross and rise again physically from the dead.
said. And we just trust in Him like we're trusting the chairs. We lean our whole weight on Him as our own personal Savior. And now we are beneficiaries of that eternal life and we have that hope that when we do die, we can meet Him face to face. I don't know if Butch had that hope. I remember meeting Butch just once. I never met him afterwards, after that fateful day, March 22, 1970. One year later, I got saved that same day, March 22, 1971. But I thought to myself, Butch is now gone. Where is Butch? Because nobody cares. <laughs> nobody cares what shoes you wear. Nobody cares what house you live in. Nobody cares. And that day, nobody cares. This is so important. And then this is what Paul is writing in Romans chapter 1. But in 10, notice what he says in terms of his motivation. Notice what he says in verse Chapter 10, verse 1, speaking of Israel, his, you know, his uh, heritage, brethren, he's talking to Christians, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. Somebody said to me one time at, at the Moody Bible Institute, and they were ignorant of this verse. They said, well, you know, the Bible doesn't teach us to pray for the lost. Duh. I guess, I guess Paul was out of bounds on this. He actually says, if I could be accursed, if I could go to hell, let me go to hell that my brethren might be saved. Impossible to do, but that was his motive. I think to myself, what is, what is our motive in terms of evangelizing sinners? Evangelizing the lost. We, we really want to do this. We do, it, we, we do it not because it feels good. We don't do, we don't do it because it's something of, of uh, you know, I mark, as a friend of mine would say, I check this box. I'd say, boom, here it goes. I checked this box. I did my, my uh, evangelistic duty today, you know, that kind of thing. No, we do it because as we look at this world the way God looks at this world, we see people who are lost and on their way to hell. And they need Him. They need Him. Because we needed Him. And if we needed Him, they need Him. Maybe our prayer should be this. Lord, help me to see these people the way You see them. And help me never get over it. There are people today in Richmond, in Richmond, Lord willing, who will come to our little gathering Tomorrow at 4 o'clock, Tuesday at 4, Wednesday at 4, Thursday at 4, who will come, who have no idea what it means or how to get to heaven, who desperately want to, but they don't know how. May we be led of Him to show them how, how to get to heaven. Can there, any, can there be anything on our schedule? Can there be anything in our lives more important than that? Just a question. We got a lot of methods of doing this. I can teach you the three-robe trick. Three-robe trick. We can show... The sketchboard, we can show uh, there's a lot of techniques. Just a lot of techniques and they come and they go. But if we don't have a heart for the lost, we can know all the techniques we want to know. We can have as many 
sketchboards or three rope tricks or whatever method we want to use to share the gospel. But it won't get shared because we don't have a heart for it. Think of this. Somebody had a heart for you and shared the gospel with you. Are you happy about that? Yeah. Pass it forward. That's a cool term that was like 20 years ago, but I'm still in the 20 years ago realm. Pass it forward. You know? Play it forward. This is what it is. One beggar telling another beggar where to find bread. And this is the bottom line of our lives. The bottom line of my life is not get the stink out of the basement because of flooding. The bottom line of my life is not even to get a degree. The bottom line of my life is to do whatever He wants me to do. And I know for a fact it's His will that I tell people. And it's His will for your life to tell people about Jesus Christ. We might do it with stammering lips. We might do it with incompletions. You know, we might have holes in our argument. You know, all that kind of stuff. But by all means, do it. Do it. So we've talked about evangel or edifying the Savior, edifying or glorifying the Savior, edifying the saints, and evangelizing the lost. Uh, question is, are, are we going to do this? All three. Are these the priorities of our lives? This is something of which we can only answer to Him. <laughs> He's going to look at me what am I doing? And uh, I have to confess to you, uh, I failed many times. And uh, I don't want to fail again. Father, help us, we pray. And minister to us, we pray. Help us to glorify you. Help us in your strength and your wisdom to edify each other with your word and by our example of obedience to your word. And Lord, help us to tell others of you. Please, we pray and ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you.